you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're in Matthew's gospel as we continue our summer sermon series on the parables of Jesus. We've entitled it, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. Parables are short stories that Jesus told that tell us much about Jesus' view of the world around us and what how Jesus views God and how Jesus views the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to look at a series of short parables that address the question, why does God seem hidden? Why does God seem absent? Why can't I find God even when I'm looking for him? Recently, Lisa and I have had some good conversations with a good friend who said to us, I would like to find God. Why can't I find God? Where is he? The original audience that Jesus was addressing was certainly asking this question. Jesus was talking to a group of mostly Jewish people He was drawing large crowds by this point in his ministry, and these folks were looking to Jesus as perhaps the Messiah. Their hope was that this was the one God had sent to throw off the yoke of Roman rule. They lived in a world, they remembered the day when God had on the throne of Israel a man after God's own heart, David and those descendants of David, and they looked to to be restored to those days of glory. Yet in their day, as Jesus spoke to them, as they followed Jesus, the Roman Empire ruled over their world. The Roman Caesars took taxes, took whatever they wanted, were very oppressive. And so the original audience had to be asking, where is God? Where is this kingdom that supposedly was coming here through God. Why does God seem so absent? Why does he seem so far away? Some of us, because of our own circumstances, often ask that question because life has not gone the way that we were hoping it would go. Things haven't turned out the way that we had hoped that they would turn out. They certainly haven't turned out the way they would turn out if we were God and we were in charge of everything. And so we often conclude that there is no God because things have not unfolded the way we would have them unfold if we were God. You need to know that that is not Jesus' position. That is not what he concludes. Although Jesus does seem to say in these parables, look, I get it. It seems to you, because of your circumstances, that God is hidden, that he's absent, that he seems far away, and you're tempted to think that perhaps there is no God. And I draw the conclusion that Jesus is saying that because in these four parables we're going to look at today, he repeats the word hid or hidden several times. He talks about people searching for something. And so Jesus seems to hear the cry of their hearts, and he tells these parables in a way that shows us how to find God, even when circumstances are not going our way. Jesus tells us here how to find God if we have ears to hear. So let me read this passage to us, these 
four short stories Jesus tells. Let me pray for us that we would have ears to hear, and then let's dive in and look at them together. Hear now God's word from Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. We looked at the parable of the weeds explained in a previous week. So if you would go to verse 44... Jesus continues, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we're gathered here now before your word. We hear these stories that Jesus told. If we're honest, we don't fully understand them. We need you to give us ears to hear, to open our eyes that we may see that you would give us understanding. Surely one of the reasons you have preserved them, lo, these two millennia, is so that your people would be edified, that we would grow in our faith. Surely you preserve this word in order to open the eyes of those who cannot see your kingdom. And so we pray that you would use your word in that way now. That you'd be willing to come and even now in this place as we hear these words of Jesus again, that there would be those who would turn from their pursuit of other things to pursue you. Father, please come and do that now, even through the work of your Spirit, even through the preaching of sin-stained lips. We ask that you would come and do these things for your glory and our good. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're asking the question, why does God seem hidden? Why can't I find God even when I am looking for him? And the first point of the sermon that Jesus seems to be making in these stories is this. God presents himself to us in great humility. God presents himself to us in great humility. Now, why does that answer the question of where is God? Why can't I find him? Well, he presents himself to us in great humility. So if we're looking for something big and powerful that we can use to fix our own personal problems, that we can harness the power of or leverage to get what it is that we want most, 
then we're going to miss God. We're not going to see him if that's what we're looking for. And because he, pre- he presents himself in great humility and we're looking for something big and powerful that we can use for our own ends, we often conclude that there is no evidence for God. And we conclude that there is no God at all. But in reality, God reveals himself very humbly. So if I'm looking for something bigger, stronger, faster to work for me, then I won't see God who presents himself in great humility. We see this in these first two parables, right? Look there in verse 31. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then you're expecting something big, right? What's the big thing? Uh, like a mountain that's big around and reaches all. That's not what he, that's not what he says. We're expecting maybe the biggest thing we can build, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a skyscraper that goes all the way. That's not what he says. We want the kingdom of heaven and God to show up in power. We want to hear something like the kingdom of heaven is like a monster truck rally rolling over everything in its path. That's what we want. We long to see that happen. Yet God says the kingdom of heaven is like a single grain of a mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds. We've got an illustration I put together. I took this picture on our table to give you some reference, something you know the size of, a quarter, a nickel, a penny, and a dime. And each one has one grain of a mustard seed on there. You see how small this is. Is, God, is Jesus saying that God is small? That his kingdom is tiny? No. It's not what Jesus is saying. But he is saying that God chooses to reveal himself in great humility. If you're looking for great power and that power is not veiled in great humility, then you may conclude that there is no God. Because the God of the Bible shows up in weakness. Because Jesus says God, or the kingdom of God here, shows up as the smallest of seeds. Makes sense, doesn't it? When God took on flesh and came to earth, he didn't come like, I imagine him coming like Aladdin, you know, with all the elephants and the horses and the parade and everything and the music and the bands and everybody. Came as a tiny baby, born in a barn, laid in a feeding trough, born to basically teenagers in poverty. God shows up in great weakness. He presents himself in great humility. But God and the kingdom of God in us does not remain small. It grows big like this small seed growing all the way up to a big tree or like the tiny yeast working its way through all the dough. So God and the kingdom of God become bigger to us over time But God and the kingdom of God begin in our perception to be very small. So if you're taking notes, if you've got the notes there, and you saw that first point, God presents himself to us in great humility, you see we often overlook God because at first he appears small, right? 
It's one of the reasons why we miss him, why he's hidden, why we can't find him. Another reason we overlook God is because he works so slowly. Because he works so slowly. How long does it take a small grain that small to grow all the way up to a big tree where the birds can build their nests? I don't know. It's not overnight. And Jesus is saying here that the way the kingdom of God arrives, the way it comes, it comes very slowly. God's timing is just not our timing. I don't know if you've experienced this, but God just does not seem to be in a hurry. Right? I mean, we say as we talk to each other, time is money, right? Time is money. What have you done for me lately? Right? What we want to do is we want to produce and we want to keep producing, right? God's not bound by time. God does not measure worth by how much you produce and how fast you can produce it. God moves at a pace that we often find to be very slow. Think about that with me. That means that the kingdom of God is not about instant gratification. So if you are looking for instant gratification, if you're looking for a God who gives you what you want when you want it, then it's easy to conclude that there is no God because you're not seeing the results you want in the time that you want it. Your assumption is that God works the way you want him to work. And when he does not work that way, many people conclude there is no God. In fact, they'll say there's, there's no evidence of God. In reality, God is so humble. And he's so patient. And he's humble and he's patient in a way that I have never seen before or never experienced anywhere else. And that's why we often miss him. That's why as even those who are his followers, we must learn this word from the Lord. We have to learn the word wait. Wait on the Lord. And he's so good that he grows his fruit of patience and gentleness and self-control in us. But if you're looking for great power in one presenting as bigger, stronger, faster, who gives you what you want, when you want it, then it's easy to conclude that there is no God. And that's why you can't find God or see God because God presents him to himself to us in great humility, in smallness, slowly over time, in ways that we often don't get what we want when we want it. And that's why many do not find God even when they look. So how do you find God? What does that look like? We could write volumes on that. But from these stories, from what we hear Jesus teaching here, let's at least say this. That finding God 
involves coming to terms with the fact that the God we want does not exist. And the God who exists is actually not at all like what we want him to be. That's where finding God begins. It begins with realizing these gods that we've made up in our heads, by the way, that's called idolatry, that that God doesn't exist. And then the God who really exists, who's really there, is not at all like what we would like for him to be. And then after we get to that place, we have to decide whether we will continue to claim God just just does not exist because the God we want to exist doesn't exist. And therefore, many of us conclude, so we can just live however we please. We either have to remain there or we have to move to the place that we say whether we like it or not, we will yield ourselves. We will bow our will to the God who actually exists, even though he's not at all like I was hoping he would be. That's at least the beginning of finding God. Maybe an example that you can see, maybe you've heard the story of Rosaria Butterfield. She was an openly gay professor at the University of Syracuse in New York, living in a lesbian relationship. She wrote an article to the newspaper criticizing the promise keepers, if anybody even remembers who those guys were, right? And as a result of writing this editorial to the paper, she got an invitation from a Presbyterian minister and his wife to come and eat with them in their home. And she had always wanted to to ask questions. Why are Christians so mean? Why do they hate people like me? And so she took the invitation and she goes to their home for dinner. And she tells the story. She says, they did not invite me to church for two years. They did not share the gospel with me. And she says, I love that because it made me feel like I was a person asking questions in a relationship with them instead of a a project that they had. And they continued to have her into their home every week for a couple of years. And she was reading the Bible and asking them questions. And in this process of reading the Bible and asking them questions, she becomes a Christian. And this is what she says about this process. Rosario Butterfield says, I did not come to faith because I stopped feeling like a lesbian. It was not because I got all my worldview issues completely cemented with a happy Christian evangelism. I came to faith because I became convicted that Jesus is who he says he is. You hear that? She became convicted that if God is God, he's the one that created all things. He's the one that controls all things. He's the one that upholds all things by his mighty word. Then guess what? He's the one that knows how all this is supposed to work. And that if what I think is out of line what he thinks, guess who's wrong? It's not him. It's me. I often get impatient with God. We asked the question even back at the sound booth this morning. We were asking the question, how can the imperfect me find fault with the timing of the one who's perfect? It makes sense in my head, but I do it all the time. Finding God 
and following God means that we recognize God is not always the God we want him to be. And when those things are at odds with one another, I'm the one that's wrong. Finding God and following God means yielding myself to him, surrendering to him, bowing my will to him, saying as Jesus says as he goes to the cross, Lord, this is what I want. Nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what it looks like to find and to follow God. Now, if you don't know this, I preach these things in the mirror, and I I heard that much of the sermon because I was preaching it to myself, and I'm like, that sounds terrible. Why don't you just show up like on Star Trek and say, surrender, earthling, or you will be destroyed. And listen, some people preach the kingdom of heaven that way. That's not at all what I hear Jesus saying right here, by the way. Although Jesus does say to come to him, to follow him, means that we deny ourselves, that we die to ourselves. I don't like hearing wait or wait on the Lord Although he does use that to grow my patience so that I begin to look more like him. But lest you think surrendering to this humble, patient, all-powerful God is a harsh and unpleasant experience, Jesus tells two more parables. So if you turn to verse 44, I want to read them in a second. But what I learn from these things is this. That hidden in God is a treasure of great joy that is worth giving up everything else to gain. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that this God, that, that the kingdom, that being a part of the kingdom, the kingdom being born in me, that me being in the kingdom, that it's such a treasure that it brings great joy and it's worth giving up everything else to gain. Do you see that in verse 44? Through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he had and buys that field. Or verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Notice a couple of things about these stories. Number one, he describes the kingdom of heaven as a treasure as something that brings great joy. He describes it as a, as a pearl of great value, something that is beautiful, something that is to be treasured. The point of the stories is nobody looks at the sacrifice and says the sacrifice is not worth it, right? Right? We're saying, yes, you do have to yield what you were pursuing and yield yourself to God, that that is a reality in the Christian life. But what these stories are saying is that what you leave behind is so much less than what you gain. These two people gladly give up everything else they have to find this. And so Jesus is saying, this that I'm offering you is better than anything else. And we should be willing to give up everything else to have God and his kingdom. Second, notice that the first man just stumbles on this treasure in the field. He's not looking for it at all. He just stumbles across this treasure in a field. The merchant is searching for the pearl. 
One was looking for a treasure. <laughs> One wasn't even looking. He just stumbled on it. But both realize the great value of what they have found, and they give up everything else to gain it. I want to invite you to put yourself in the place of the man and the merchant. It's what Jesus is inviting us to do with these stories. And with them, I invite you to, to ask the question, whether you've been searching for some time or you just stumbled onto this truth today, I ask you to consider the path of your life and everything you thought would bring you joy. Perhaps you've been looking for, you've been pursuing what is bigger or stronger or faster or flashier or popular or the latest fad or whatever you thought would give you instant gratification. These stories call us to ask the question, are you willing to give up your pursuit of those things which promise to satisfy but never do? In order to pursue this treasure in the field, this pearl of great value that is a real and therefore better treasure. Are you willing to let go of your pursuit of the things that will never satisfy your soul? Listen, maybe you get satisfaction for a short period of time, but it's never lasting. Are you willing to give up your pursuit of those things that never ever short of, they only satisfy for a short time in order to possess a treasure of great joy that lasts forever, that Jesus says only gets bigger and only grows within us. Listen, I hear the voice of the world. I hear the voice of the evil one. You're going to hear this voice. <laughs> Don't settle on one field. Play the field. Why settle for one pearl? Go get all the pearls you can get. Listen to me. The issue here is not a treasure in a field or a pearl per se. The issue is God. The treasure is having more of God, of having more of his kingdom born in us and then having it grow in us. Are you willing to say, I want God, the real God, the God who is really there, the God who really exists, not the one that I imagine exists? Are you willing to say, I want to treasure what he treasures? I want to find joy where he finds joy. Am I willing to give up the pursuit of other perceived joys to pursue this God and the joy that he gives? This world has promised lasting joy for a long time, but it has never come through on its promise. Don't be fooled. So are you going to be content with partial joys that die when you do? Or are you willing to see that there is so much more than what this world can give you? Listen to me. There is a treasure. There is a joy that the best things in this world only point to. They only mimic. Jesus is inviting you to that greater treasure, that greater joy. Will you give up your pursuit of what will never satisfy you? for the only thing that finally 
will. Jesus is offering you what the bigger, faster, stronger, instant gratification can never give you. Here's what he's offering. A deeper work in you that makes you what you were designed to be. It starts small. It progresses slowly. But it is a treasure of great joy that is worth giving up everything else to gain. Let's pray and ask him to help us to pursue that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories. These stories that sneak up on us. (laughs) with the truth. I pray that these stories would continue to do work in our hearts. We'll be tempted to chase other fields and other pearls, but but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring these things back to our mind, that when we forget, you would remind us. And that we would be a people who are always turning from other fields and other pearls, turning back to you, the great treasure, Jesus It is in his name that we pray. Amen.